0: Child, I have given my heart to you. Child, I will never give up on
1: you. A way to start the morning. Uh, There are a lot of times in our own prayer life that. We pray and pray and pray, and we don't get the answer we're looking for, we're wanting. And there comes a point that we say, I give up. I just give up. I, I, I'm talking, and, and nothing seems to be working. We need to remember in those silent moments that, that God has us at our carrots. We were talking about that last week, a brook, a place where we're being molded and shaped. Some cutting is going on, and even though we may feel like giving up, He never, he never gives up on us. And that's where we are today. No matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, God has not given up on what's going on in your life. We're glad you joined us this morning at Southfield. Uh, As you walked in, you received a folder. I'd like you to take that out right now. On the inside, there's a card, and you get the chance to go ahead and put your name there. It's nice that you put your name, although I I tell you what, we've had everybody from Jack Bauer to Donald Duck attend our church on the card. It's been a lot of fun. So if you're one of those people, nice to have you here today, too. Uh, And if it's your first time, we're Just glad you decided to come today. Go ahead and put as much information on the card as you want. Uh, But what we'd like to do for you, if you give us your address, not going to come visit you, don't worry about that, but we'd love to just be able to send you a gift in the mail this coming week. So if you go ahead and put your address down, we'll we'll make sure to send that to you. So we're going to get started right away with uh, worshiping today, singing to the Lord our God. Would you stand and let's sing.
0: Your grace about the deepest waters, your sovereign hand
2: will be my guide, will
0: feed my faith. So rest in your embrace i am yours and
3: you are
0: mine
3: Dear heavenly father we thank you for your faithfulness god we thank you god that we can keep our eyes on you father we pray that we keep our eyes off of the waves in your name we pray amen please be seated As you're seated, I just want to, last week, Dennis was talking about the value of boot camp in life and the boot camps often involve exercises. We want you to share something with the person sitting next to you um, and you have a choice. You can either share your favorite exercise and why, or your least favorite workout activity and why. So the one you like most or the one you like least and why. You have about 45 seconds, so go ahead.
1: Well, we're in the third week of our summer dive series. By the way, I think for some of us, our answer on that question was none of the above, right? <laughs> i just rather never exercise. Or your favorite exercise involves your elbow and your hand to your mouth. But anyway, we'll leave that alone third week of the summer dive, what do we do in the dive? We take a a topic, a subject, and we just drill down into it with intensity. We really try to understand it at a level that we wouldn't if we were just, you know, four weeks in a series or something like that. And this summer, we're studying the life of one of the greatest prophets of all time. His name is Elijah. Over the past two weeks, we've looked at the first seven verses of chapter 17 of verse Kings, and we actually skip back a little bit into chapter 16 in order to set up some background and understand that. So, So what do we know so far? What, what information do we have on this man? Elijah comes on the scene in chapter 17 with literally no build-up. We have no idea that he's coming. Just boom, he's there. He appears. It doesn't even take a few verses to just say this is who he was or this is what he's like or anything like that. We have, we have two basic facts that appear in the beginning of that chapter. One is his name. His name is Elijah and Elijah means my God is Jehovah. And, and I love that because basically the entirety of his life, his life mission is going to be about living up to his name. His life's mission is going to be about calling out the people of Israel who were worshiping a false deity. They were following King Ahab and Jezebel, and they were worshiping Baal. And and he just says, it can't be this way. You all have to make a choice. In fact, we're going to see in the next chapter, he's going to make this declaration. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, if Jehovah is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then go ahead and follow him. His His name left no doubt as to where he falls in the debate. His name says it all. My God is Jehovah. The other thing we learned is that he was from a town named Tishbe. And we went ahead and looked at a map. We're going to look at this again today, a little more zoomed in, hopefully, so you can see a little bit better. Uh, we have an arrow there for you that shows where Tishbe is down at the bottom, that, that red arrow that displays where his hometown is. And I want you to see this because in a little bit, God tells him to go ahead to fi- find the brook Kareth. Kareth is just to the north. It's the line just to the north of his hometown. And the water would flow basically from the mountains, up in the, up in the mountain snows, come on down, and it's going to melt and end up in the Jordan River. So you have the water flowing that way. Now, God is going to tell him, go basically to the crook of this brook, the brook named Kareth, and the Jordan River. So this is where he winds up. This is where he spends a lot of the time in the drought. He's, he's just sitting there at that brook, I- enjoying that time alone learning a lot, an awful lot about God. I believe this is a brook that he would have been very familiar with. I mean, it's, it's just to the north of his hometown. He's, he's got a really good feel uh, for what's going on there. He's told to go hide out in that place. Uh, a lot of images on the internet that help us to see, you know, what these places are like. I mean, what a, what a beautiful place to just go ahead and be, be sustained by the hand of the Lord. As I said, we don't know much about his history. We really don't know much about his personality. We do know this, though, that he's going to be called on by God to do what I really believe is one of the greatest miracles in all of the Bible. It's an absolute faith filled miracle. He is going to have a crowd of people before him and going to be calling on God to do something that he's never seen happen before. In order to be able to draw on this kind of faith, God needs to grow Elijah's trust in him. He really needs to grow him. So God sends Elijah off to boot camp. And that's where we were last week. And, and we're going to look at the second part of the boot camp now this week. Any boot camp, whether it's military or a fitness center, or like we're looking at this week, just a, a, a spiritual boot camp, has some common characteristics. The first one is that a boot camp is it's typically a form of initiation. It starts something out, whether it starts out your military career or as a, as a state trooper or or something like that. It's a, it's a beginning sort of activity. Uh, even in the physical world, you may, you may go off to a, a fitness center and you're like, you haven't worked out for years, and so what do you do? You go to boot camp to just kind of kick off a, a new way of eating, a new way of working out, new health habits, that sort of thing. So it's an initiation, and part of the nature of that means um, it's not... Interminable. It ends at some point and we're thankful for that. If you're in a boot camp right now, know this. It will not last forever. There's a purpose behind it. God has this season that he's he's growing you and preparing you for what's coming next. Second thing you need to know about a boot camp is that it is intense. The heat is turned up. This, is, this isn't the time for wimps, you know. It's brutal. And just at the point that you kind of settle into routine, you think you've figured it out, the instructor will throw in some mo- new moves, some new things that just it, it brings up, it ratchets up the intensity. The heat is turned up once again. The third thing about boot camp is that it is often isolated. Now, you may be with other people. But the purpose of boot camp isn't social hour. You don't go there to hang out. You don't go there to just be buds. You're there and, and, and you're, you're fighting against something. Now, a lot of the fighting has to do with muscle, right? Getting in shape. But honestly, a lot of the battle is not about muscle. It's about the mind. It's about making our mind stronger, making our, our hearts stronger. It's designed, this season is designed to break us down in order to build us back up once again. So a few years ago, I was involved in a a boot camp at a fitness center. And the instructor yelled out a line. We we had gone through a a whole bunch of exercises and honestly felt felt incredibly depleted. And we're getting toward the end. and, and And she shouts out, come on, you can do anything for 10 seconds. We had 10 seconds to go. Come on, you can do anything for 10 seconds. And you know what? I sat there and went, yeah, I can. Ten more seconds done. You know, that wasn't as much a battle of the muscle as it was a battle of the mind. Learning that, yeah, this can be done. And that's a lot of what's happening in the boot camps that you've experienced. God is not just developing your abilities. He's developing your strength of perseverance. He's developing your mind. He's developing your heart and your spirit along the way. Last week, we entered a, a spiritual boot camp with Elijah. God is conveying many lessons to him. But I really believe the most basic one is this. You can trust me. And that's a basic lesson that God teaches all of us throughout life. You can trust me. And there are times, like we heard in that song in the beginning, that we feel like God is silenced and we're like, I'm giving up on you. I am done. And God keeps saying, no, even in the most intense moment, you can trust. Trust me. I absolutely promise that you can. The drought begins, and God sends Elijah off to a, off to a brook named Kereth, again where it empties into the Jordan River. Kereth. I love this because so many of these words, you know, they're not just thrown in there. They mean something. Kereth means to cut. So God sends Elijah off to this place of cutting. I mean, if if you're if you're going to open a boot camp someday. I'd suggest naming it Kareth. What a great name. It's a place that, first of all, you get get cut off from people. You are alone. Elijah is alone in that place. He's isolated. But he's also being cut down. Cut down to size to be made into the man that can do what God is going to call on him to do. He tells Elijah to drink from the brook and to eat what the ravens bring to him. There's one little line I don't want you to miss in the passage. It says, drink from the brook and eat what the ravens bring you, for I have commanded them to bring you food. Now, this is interesting. If you take this chapter, and I'd encourage you to do it during the week, just go ahead and take chapter 17 and read it again. You're going to find a theme popping out. And the theme is the word of the Lord. God is speaking to people left and right. He's giving them a choice. Here's my word. You can choose to obey it, or you can choose to disobey it. You can choose to follow it, or you can choose to ignore it. I mean, he he speaks to Elijah. We're going to see he speaks to a widow. He even speaks to the birds. And he's getting the message across that his word is incredibly powerful, and it is to be obeyed. As we said about boot camps, eventually they intensify. And Elijah's boot camp intensified as well. Verse seven of chapter 17 said, but after a while, the brook dried up for there was no rainfall anywhere in the land. The brook dried up. Talk about a faith stretcher and you can hear him. God, you told me I could trust you. You told me I could trust you in this place. And now I'm just looking at rocks. There's no water. The brook is dried up. What am I supposed to do? Is a waterless waterless brook actually part of your plan for me? Have you been there? I mean, maybe you're there today. We could probably spend a season just talking about our dried up brooks. The times in our lives that, that we believed we had something in our hands that God had given to us. God had given him that brook of water and now God took it away. Can God still be trusted in that moment? The reason it's taken away, the reason for the dry brook is to say, you can still trust me even when you don't see the water. Now, God doesn't leave Elijah at a dried up brook. Once again, we get a word from the Lord. A word which Elijah can either obey or ignore. Verse 8 says, Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath, Near the city of Sidon, I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So there's the word of the Lord again. Not only does God speak to Elijah, but God's already spoken to the widow. There's a guy coming. You're going to give him a meal. You're going to help him out. So let's go ahead and go back to the map. We have the, the green arrow down there his, his home, near his hometown. This is now where he's hanging out, at the, where, the, um, where the Kareth goes into the Jordan, flows into the Jordan. And he's being told that it's time to, to head north. He's to go north to Zarephath. It's all the way at the top. We have a purple arrow there pointing it out to you. Uh, I have some images for you of that ancient town, and, and I just want to say this is a great tool to use in Bible study. You, you look at the word Zarephath in the Bible, you're like, ah. You can come up with all kinds of images of what you think that looks like. Or you can Google it. Now make sure it's really Zarephath and not, you know, something someone just threw in there with the word. But this gives you a beautiful picture of what that town was like. It's located on the Mediterranean Sea. It's a a fishing town. It was small. And this is where this woman is spending her life. And this is where Elijah is told, I want you to go ahead and head off to this ancient city, the city of Zarephath. So, we said boot camp is intensifying. Not only did the brook dry up, but God's new means of supply is going to require a huge step of faith, many steps of faith on the part of Elijah. Here's the first one. He's being told by God to leave Israel. Can you tell me, what's the nickname for Israel? What, what were the Israelites calling Israel when they were in Egypt? Do you remember it? The promised land, right? Do you leave the promised land? I mean, when you're in the promised land, you say, I'm going to go somewhere else to find a promise. This is the land. And God says, I want you to leave this place. I want you to go north to where Lebanon is today. I want you to leave the place that that I dwell, where my Jerusalem is. I want you to leave this place and go to a pagan nation, a nation that doesn't worship Jehovah, a nation that worships false gods. So he's headed to an area that at that time was known as Phoenicia. It's also called the land of the Sidonians. You may remember that word. We've already seen it in the past. We saw it in chapter 16. I'll show you on, on the screen. Oh, no, I don't have it on the screen. It says, And as though it were not enough to follow the example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbaal, of the Sidonians. And he began to bow down in worship of Baal. So God is not only sending Elijah to a pagan nation; He's sending Elijah to Jezebel's home country. He's sending Elijah to the country controlled by Jezebel's daddy. I, can you imagine? And and not I mean, He's sending him eight miles south of the capital city. There, he, for anybody that thought. That God sent Elijah off to the brook to hide from Jezebel. Uh, I think we need to change our mindset a little bit about that. This isn't about hiding. He sends him right into Jezebel's backyard. He sends him right to the very place that Jezebel's father could take him out. By the way, I want you to notice his name as well. It's not that tough to break it down there. You see it, right? E-T-H-B-A-A-L. You see the last part, Baal. E-T-H means with. So the king's name is with Baal. All the way throughout the story, we just see this constant conflict going on. This conflict of a man who's saying, my God is Jehovah, versus a king whose name is, I'm with Baal. Time and time again, we see the conflict set up. So, So here he's sent off to a foreign land, but he's sent off to Jezebel's home area of all places. His faith is being stretched. It's being stretched like crazy. The whole story is about choosing. We're wavering between two opinions. If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. So just to the north of Zarephath, there's Sidon, eight miles north, not very far, not very far away from Jezebel's dad. He's now going going back to last week again this just further supports that idea I think it really supports that idea that going off to the brook was not about hiding from the queen It was actually more about growing his faith, just absolutely growing his faith in a place that he'd be isolated and tested. Now he's sending him off to this place again where his faith continues to be stretched. Are you actually going to trust me to provide for you in a foreign land, in a pagan land, in a land controlled by Jezebel's father? Let's keep reading. Chapter 17, verse 12 says, But she said, I swear... I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house. I only have a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of of the jug. And I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son will die. So here's faith stretcher number three. He not only sends him to a pagan nation, he not only sends him to Jezebel's hometown, he sends him off to a widow who has absolutely nothing. Now, if you were looking for someone to be your, um, your patron, someone to take care of you, you'd look for someone with money. You'd look for someone with, with resources. Widows in ancient times were not known as people with resources. Quite the opposite. All property rights were tied to the husband. When the husband died, the property went to others in the family. So she's now dependent on her family. She's now dependent on her friends. She is absolutely alone in all of this. Now, mind you, she's not an ordinary widow. God had instructed her. He had told her. Go ahead and feed this man. So again, she's given the opportunity to respond to the word of the Lord. She has a choice. What is she going to do? This spiritual boot camp, I think, is so close to reality. It's so close to what happens. Because when we're going through a spiritual boot camp, what we've got to understand is other people are going through it too. Other people are experiencing too. The lessons weren't just for Elijah. There were lessons here for the widow to learn too. She had some things to learn about depending on God along the way. She needed to learn what it meant to actually depend on the living God. So there are a couple of things that we see here. She's being impacted. What? She's being impacted by the drought. Sidon is going through the drought. They're suffering as well. She has... Nothing, absolutely nothing at this point. She's down to her last meal. We also kind of wonder about the widow herself. Is is she a follower of God? Is she a follower of Jehovah? We're going to see a verse in this chapter where she says in verse 12, I swear by the Lord, your God. It doesn't give the impression that she's owning Jehovah yet. I swear by the Lord, your God. She's, she's pointing to him instead. So he goes to Zarephath. He heads off to Zarephath, as he's told to. He, the, the widow has been instructed to feed him, and he heads to that place. He does exactly what he's told. He finds her, and he makes the request. Would you give me a little water in a cup? And as you're getting it, bring me a little bit of bread to eat. Just a little bit of bread, that's all. He's throwing that out there. And again, we have from her the fact that she says, I'm down to, this is it. I have, I have next to nothing left. I'm going to make this food up, and I'm going to watch my kid die, and I'm going to die. This is the end of my life. It's the end of the road. But, but don't forget, don't forget, she's been told by God to feed Elijah. So she's going through her own boot camp, her own faith stretch, where she's been told, you're supposed to supply, even though she's down to the very last of what she has I want you to do something with me. Enter into the humanity of this situation. A lot of times we look at Bible stories and we we look at them very one-dimensionally. They're off on a page. Would you instead enter into this, just enter into the humanity of this moment? Remember, Elijah, he's an able-bodied man. He is well-fed. He's been receiving a supernatural supply from ravens and from a brook. God has been providing food for him. He is doing okay. How would you respond in this situation? God has told you, go ask a widow for food. And you get there. And she says, well, it just so happens, this is the last of the flour I have. And I'm going to mix this up. And my kid's going to die and I'm going to die. And it's going to be over. What would you do? What would you do right now? I, 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 I I know what I'd do. I'd feel like a slug for asking the woman for food. Are you kidding me? Really? I'm going to ask you for your part of your last meal? I'd help her gather sticks. I'd probably go around asking other people, you know, is there something we can do to help this lady? She she needs some food. But God told her: ask this woman for food. Do what I'm telling you to do. I, Live in the humanity of this. I'll tell you what, I've I've allowed myself to, to live in this story for a little bit. And I find that of all the things Elijah's done so far, this one would be incredibly difficult for me. To look to someone who has nothing and say, would you give me your nothing? Would you give me what? A lot of times we look at this from the widow's standpoint. The widow giving up the little she has. How about the standpoint of Elijah actually having to ask somebody for the last of what they have? It's an incredibly difficult thing to do. But you've got to think about this. In a short time, he's going to be calling on the God of heaven to throw down fire from heaven. He has got to be grown in his ability to ask. His ability to ask for impossible things. His ability to ask For difficult things. Asking is really hard for some of us. Some of us like depending on ourselves. I mean, we we hear Elijah. Is there anything more audacious than, Ma'am, would you share your last meal with me? We can't imagine doing that. But God is teaching Elijah how to ask. And I think he teaches us the same lesson as well. He's also teaching Elijah how to trust. That he is trustworthy. Why is he asking the widow in the first place? Because God told him to. He said, this is the resource. This is the person you're supposed to ask. Go to Zarephath near Sidon. I've instructed a widow to feed you there. This audacious request is a directive from God. This isn't just his stomach grumbling and he sees someone gathering sticks. God told him to do this and he follows through with what God says. God is teaching Elijah how to ask. And he is teaching Elijah deeper levels of trust. Lesson three is is found in the next verse. Verse 13 says, But Elijah said to her, Don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said. But make a little bread for me first. And use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Here's the word of the Lord again. There will always be flour and oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. God is teaching Elijah how to ask. He's teaching him how to trust. And and in these words, he's teaching something else. He's teaching him how to get other people to trust in God as well, to go ahead and take that leap of faith. You see, I think for a lot of us, we would admit, it is one thing for us to trust God. It's another thing to encourage someone else to do it. It's another thing to encourage our kid to do it. You know, I, took, I did some crazy things as a kid, took some crazy steps of faith, and my kids are now all at that stage, and, and they want to take a crazy step of faith. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that. Why don't you walk on the safe part? Don't, don't be doing that crazy stuff. It's difficult to call on someone else to take incredible Leaps of trust. This is a huge risk. You know what he's saying? Trust me. You can trust God. Trust me. God is trustworthy. In this moment, we do see that this, this boot camp is it's paying off. Elijah has been, has been moved beyond trusting God himself to actually inviting others now to trust God and to trust his word. And that's what he's going to ask the people to do on Carmel. You've got to trust God the same way that I trust God. Again, catch the beginning of verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Elijah didn't make this up. This wasn't his idea. He's saying, this is what God has promised you. He's promised you an endless supply of food if you will just listen to him. But it's only going to happen if she follows God's word to a T. He says, make a little bread for me. Then, what's left, you go eat it yourself and let your son eat it. He he doesn't even say, I'll tell you what, I'll modify God's word a little bit. Give me leftovers if you have some. He says no up front, which is a lesson of trust that we all have to learn. That lesson of first fruits, not leftovers. Off the top, not from the scraps. Well, what happens? She did, as Elijah said, and... The oil was there and the flour was there for many days. Just as the Lord had promised. You can trust me. God said it to Elijah at the stream. He's now saying it to the widow of Zarephath. You can trust me. If she had not trusted God, she would have baked her last pita and her kid would have died. And then she would have died. But she trusted God's word completely. God proved that his word is always Trustworthy. It's always trustworthy. But camp isn't over. Now Elijah is thrown another test, another huge test. We read the next, chapter, the next verse. Verse 17 says, Sometime later, the woman's son became sick and he grew worse and worse, and finally he died. Then she said to Elijah, Oh man of God, what have you done to me? Have you come to point out my sins and kill my son? Certainly the widow is in the crosshairs of this test, okay? This is tough on her. Her son is dead. But I want to focus on Elijah at this point. Have you ever convinced someone that God is trustworthy? I mean, you really talked to them and said, you can trust God, I promise. And they did. And I mean, you were so excited because they trusted God and they were doing this. But but then it happens. Just like this verse says, sometime later. Sometime later, a tragedy strikes in their life. Sometime later, something difficult happens to them, and they turn and they look at you and they say, I thought you told me I could trust God. I thought you told me God wouldn't let me down. What do you think is going through Elijah's heart? I mean, again, it's one thing for him to trust, but to ask someone else to trust. And then her son dies, and now she's saying, why did you do this to me? Why did you bring this calamity on me? I suspect that Elijah's going through a little bit of a test as well, because the passage does not indicate that God told him ahead of time, hey, by the way, her son's going to die, but don't worry, we're going to bring him back to life. He's going through a little test of faith as well. And and later in the chapter, we read that he takes this woman's son and and... and takes the time to pray over him and, and he's and he's actually in that moment brought back to life Elijah's asking this these questions I told her I could trust you I told her I could trust you could uh, you could she could trust you are you actually worthy of trust and in that moment she sees he sees that boy come back to life and remembers once again that God is absolutely positively trustworthy He's, gonna, he's prayed now for rain to stop, and it stopped. There's going to come a point that he's going to pray for rain to start again, and it will start again. He's prayed for a young boy to come back to life, and he did. God is teaching Elijah time and time again that his word can absolutely, positively be trusted. And that's what's going on in the boot camps of our lives. There's something you're going through, something tough, and God is saying, don't worry, I promise you. You may be looking at a dried-up brook, but you can trust me. You can may be looking at a lifeless sun, but you can trust me. And those are tough times, aren't they? Those are the toughest times of all to say, yes, God. It's one thing to trust when the cupboard is full and everything's going well. It's another thing to trust when the brook has dried up. So what lessons are there for us to walk away with today? What, what, do we, what's, what does God have for us? I want to just give you two things. The first is this. Don't, don't resist boot camp. Don't resist it. These testing times come into our life and we're like, yeah, I don't want to do that right now. I, I, don't, I don't have space in my life right now for hard. I, I, don't, I don't want to do something tough right now. I, just, I, need, I need a nap. I need, I need an easy time right now. I don't need. Is there ever a point in your life that it's a good time for a bad time? Ever? Oh, good, bad time. I've, I've been waiting for this. It's never a good time for a bad time, ever. We need to embrace our boot camps. Because as we're seeing, wow, God really grows you. When you embrace it fully, when you listen to his word and follow it completely, he really grows you. And here's the other part of the lesson. Don't be afraid to invite others to camp with you. Don't be afraid to say to someone else, God can be trusted. I know. I've trusted him and he's come through for me. I know that his word is absolutely dependable. Don't be afraid to trust him. So jump into your camp, whatever it may be. Don't create one. Don't worry. God's going to make one for you. You don't have to make up your own camp, okay? Don't make your life tough just for the fun of it. But um, embrace the camp when it comes your way. And invite others to embrace theirs as well. To learn to trust God more. Let's talk to the God of heaven. Her father. Now, we pray that you will help us. Um, we may be right up against something right now, uh, just a, a a difficulty that we're going. I, I am never going to survive this. And we, we, when we look at the the real life factor of this story, when when we when we breathe in the humanity of it. The things that Elijah and this widow went through were absolutely difficult. They were impossible from a human standpoint. And you proved yourself trustworthy again and again and again. Because the people who heard the word of the Lord were willing to follow it to the T and not modify it, not ignore it, not change it. Help us to have that kind of trust. To follow you, no no matter what circumstances may say, we know what your word says, and we know who you are, and we know your character, and we want to depend on you more. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to take communion now. Our servers will come and when we begin singing, and uh, you can take bread and cup. And as you do, I want you to remember that even in this moment, God is proving himself incredibly trustworthy because we were all in a state of sin. We were all in a state that we could not fix our lives on our own. And God said, I am going to supply for your need. And he supplied for our need through Jesus Christ. So the bread and cup will come to you. And when you're ready, we won't wait to take it together at the end. Just go ahead and take it when you want. We'll be uh, singing a song. You can sing if you want. Or you can just sit and listen and absorb the words while we take communion.
0: I am the Lord your God. I go before you now I stand beside you To be of your everything.
1: What beautiful words to reinforce the lesson from that chapter. That God is the source of all we need and he is truly trustworthy. Our servers are coming now to receive the offering. You can place your card in it as it is passed. And while they are, I want to talk about a couple things coming up. We've got an opportunity for you to get baptized on August 24th. Uh, beautiful place at Four, River, Four Rivers Environmental Center. Uh, we spend some time under the pavilion, worshiping, and then head off for the baptisms and come back for a picnic. One of the things that's happened through the past uh, several years, which is which is really really great, is that. Um, through the years, we've, we've attracted people from a lot of different church families, not just a particular brand, not just Baptists or something like that. And so because of that, we have people that come in that come from all kinds of different uh, baptismal traditions. Some have been baptized as babies, some as adults, some have been dunked underwater, some have been sprinkled with water. There's a church I knew in St. Louis that actually baptized people with rose petals. So people have been through all kinds of different experiences when it comes to baptism. And, and as we head into a baptism time. I think sometimes it's good to just talk about, okay, how do we handle this as a family? How does it how does it work for us? And so, rather than me just trying to explain it, what is far more helpful is what your questions are about it. So, this coming week we'll have an email going out to you just saying, "Hey, what, what, what confuses you about this? What do you, what do you wonder about this? You know, one of the questions that often comes up is, so, I wasn't baptized the way you baptized. Does my baptism count? And, you know, things like that. that just really blunt, honest, what, what are the questions you have about it? And then we'll take some time on a Sunday to, to work through those questions so you can understand where we come from as a church family on baptism. But, again, reserve that day. It's a beautiful day to, to be together. A lot of fun. And hopefully by then the rain will be done. Uh, maybe. I think every prayer that's ever been prayed for rain was answered this week. For a time and eternity, there it is, right there. So the other thing we want you to know about is we have a group of over 40 kids and leaders headed off to Green Lake later this afternoon. A lot of fun. They are going to be leaving here. Yeah, there. I see hands. This is going to be a good time. Whoa, whoa. This is a conference center uh, about four hours north of here, and there's a lot of work to do, a lot of, just a lot of volunteering to do. And so we have a group that, group that goes up, and, and they do a lot of projects. They become very familiar with a, with a thing called Buckthorn, and they remove a lot of it. A lot of different things to do uh, in the buildings, out of the buildings, and, and then on top of that, they have a lot of great uh, spiritual time together growing. So uh, our junior hires and high schoolers are going to do with that, as well as a, a great group Of leaders in the sermon note area on your folder, we listed all the names of the people that were going as of when it was printed. You can add Jordan Seaman, he's going to actually, he's already gone. His name is spelled J O R D O N, not D A N. Okay, so add him because one of the things we want you to do with this is use the list this week to be praying for the kids. Last week, last year was the year of breaking things. Seemed like every time I was getting a call, somebody had broken an arm, leg, a head, something or other. So so prayers for unbroken things would be fantastic. This year, Ray and Alice would not like to spend as much time at the Ripon Hospital. They became one the first name basis with everyone on the staff there last year. Or so so we'd like to kind of stay whole. We'd like it to be a real time of spiritual growth. So be praying for that for our kids. Now if your kid is going, here are a few things you need to hear. Um, it rained in Wisconsin too. The mosquitoes have come out in force and they're the size of bald eagles. So, um... I don't know if you're afraid of deet, but I'd get some. Because otherwise, your kid is flying away, going to Minnesota. There it goes. So anyway, you will want your child to have some bug spray. It would be helpful if they had some work gloves. Because again, they're going to be clearing buckthorn and that sort of thing. If they don't, we have some of the leftover Elmer Fudd gloves that we used on the I&M Canal. They were fantastic, but you feel like hunting wabbit when you wear them. So um, anyway... (laughs) If they've got those, that's helpful. They'll be doing some painting. So two things. Pack them with something that can get messed up painting and then tell them to wear that the day they're painting, you know. You know the way this goes. That's the day they wear the Nike outfit. And, you know, you don't want to do that. So painting, paint clothes. Put those together, all right. And then also Wisconsin does have a tendency to get a touch cooler at night than here. So a sweatshirt isn't a bad idea a parka, uh, you know, whatever, something, something a little warmer for those evenings when they go out for a fire and that sort of thing. You got all that? I was asked to share it. So if you need to see it, I'll pass you my bulletin. All right. Well, so be praying for them. It's going to be a great week for them. Let's stand and we're going to sing as we leave this morning.
3: week, and we will see you next Sunday.
0: Sometimes I think What will people say of me When I'm only just a memory When I'm home where my soul belongs?
2: Was I loved